0: All right, well, please turn in your Bibles, if you brought one, or your smartphones, to 1 John chapter 3, and today we're looking at verses 19 through 24. Today, we are continuing in our Living in the Light sermon series, and today we have a really important topic before us, confidence, and not the confidence to ask that girl at the end of the bar to dance. The confidence that comes from another shot of whiskey. No, confidence before God. It's what we all need. And what we will find this morning is that God is generous towards us. He gives us confidence. And take a moment to ponder this. If you can have confidence before God, then does that not change everything for you? See, you can experience uncertainty in every area of your life, your schooling, your finances, and even in your marriage. But if you have confidence before God as your heavenly Father who is in control of all things, then that is all that really matters. And it's true, then, that all of the other lesser uncertainties, they become swallowed up in the confidence your Heavenly Father manifests in your life. So, no surprise, today's sermon is titled, Confidence Before God. And we see this as we continue on in 1 John chapter 3. Now we're in verse 19, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter, verse 24. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, we want to know his will, we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us this word this morning um, as we pray continue on and just realizing what it's like to be your children. We are able to obey your commands. We desire to obey your commands because we've experienced your mercy and grace and your love, and we are now new creatures. Um, You, in this passage, tell us that the the Holy Spirit dwells in us, And, and oh, how we need the Spirit of God to understand the words of God. So Holy Spirit, cause us to ponder with great joy, the truths that are contained in these texts. We pray in the joy and confidence of Christ our Lord. Amen. 22 years ago, almost to the day, I was dying to know the truth. See, I was, I was falling in love with this girl named Leslie Schmidt. Yes, that's my wife's maiden name. I was falling in love with her but I wasn't so sure she was digging me, I know. A month earlier she had joined the youth ministry in which I was a part of and we started doing more and more things outside of work but I was still unsure whether she liked me or really liked me. And she threw me for a loop when she told me that her friend Izzy was coming to town. She confided in me that she believed he was coming in town to start a long-distance relationship. And then she shared with me, though, that she really just liked him as a friend and wasn't interested in him romantically. Problem was, he didn't know this. Then it hit me. Am I an Izzy, too? I needed to know. I lacked confidence. I was doubting. I did what any young man would do. I invited her out to dinner at a really nice spot where we got all dressed up. The meal was fantastic. And then the conversation turned to Izzy, and then I risked it. I let Leslie know that I was really interested in her. But I also shared that I feared that she didn't really feel the same way. So I asked her, am I an Izzy? Her look said it all, no, no way, Mark, you are not an Izzy, and my heart jumped for joy. This story illustrates a reality that's part of our daily lives, though perhaps not to the same degree as falling in love with your future spouse, there is a truth that we long to know, and we wish we had confidence in knowing, but often we have doubt. kinds of things. Take for instance this COVID-19 pandemic. Consider all the uncertainties that are before us every day. When will it end? Do vaccines really work? Will things get back to normal this year? Next year? Ever? Often our lives are so filled with doubts and uncertainties that we find ourselves at times despairing. So I think you will agree that our lives begin to flourish, do they not, when we have confidence. When there is certainty in our lives, we live differently. Now, I know some of you are going to say, well, you're, you're, you're saying this because you're a minister. But I truly do believe that the one area in our lives where we are most in need of confidence is the area of where we stand before God. I mean, consider how everything in your life changes in the present if you know beyond a doubt that your creator God, who, who, who you will one day stand before in judgment, that he delights in you as his son or daughter. And on the flip side, what does it profit you to enjoy all the earthly confidence in, say, your career or possessions or relationships, but at the end of your life, you forfeit your soul? My friends, in the end, confidence before God is all that matters. And if you're able to enjoy that confidence now, well then watch out. I'm sure you picked up on it, but our passage, it just rings with confidence before God. Look at verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. To have confidence before the creator of the universe, the great and good God who made all things and to whom all things owe their allegiance, the holy God who will one day judge all persons for how they lived in the body. To have confidence in his presence should be our greatest treasured desire. The apostle John knows what every mature follower of Christ knows, and that is this, though. There are times when we when we doubt so john takes us um, through a few verses here and he wants to encourage his readers and here's what he's telling us he's saying this the gospel gives our hearts the greatest of assurances it gives us absolute confidence before god that's what we're going to look at this morning we're going to divide our time into three areas first we're going to look at the source of our confidence, then the effect of, of confidence, and then the abiding in confidence. First, the source of confidence. Think this through. The source of your confidence uh, is of utmost importance, is it not? There were a lot of false confidences during the housing bubble of 2007 and 8. Lenders and borrowers alike had confidence that the housing prices would just continue to rise and so people borrowed far much more money than they should and banks lent money that they shouldn't have lent there was a false sense of confidence and it led to an economic crisis many people have false confidence before god as well their source of confidence is not in what god has done for them in christ jesus but their confidence is rather in themselves or in their views or their thoughts now, the Gnostics in John's day, remember, we're in the Gospel, of the, in the letter of 1 John, and he addressed these Gnostics. These Gnostics believed that they had this secret knowledge that in the end would save them. How one lives one life doesn't really matter. It's just what you believe. And ultimately, they had confidence in themselves. And I think if you were to poll Americans, you would find that a large percentage have confidence that in the end, everything's just going to be okay between them and God. But when you press them for details, we we find that their confidence is really in false assumptions. For many, their false assumption is that God must be very much like themselves. And it's true, right? We, We tend to make God in our own image. We make him to be who we want him to be. And then we create our own truth about this God. But it's really not true truth. It's falsehood. Against this, Jesus said this concerning himself, but you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. This is what John is getting at in these first few verses in our passage. He begins by making the statement, by this we shall shall know we are of the truth. Quick quick observation. You'll notice that that he says that we are of the truth, not simply we believe in truth. Listen, the message of Christ in his kingdom isn't simply a truth to be properly lodged in our craniums. It's a truth that actually captures us, all of our being. A truth that, listen, it absorbs us into God's great and cosmic redemptive work here on earth. John is revealing to his readers that we can know that we are of the truth. And be reassured in our hearts, that is, our, our consciences. Now, how? Well, he doesn't say, go and forgive yourself. You're okay. You're just being a little hard on yourself. Nor does he suggest some sort of breathing technique, though those can be helpful, or some sort of meditation. No, in verse 20, he tells us that whenever our heart condemns us, that is, whenever we feel the weight of our own brokenness, whenever we, whenever we, We've fallen short, and we all do, and it grieves us. It should grieve us. We're to turn to our source of confidence. And what is that? The rest of verse 20 shows us. Look what it says. For whenever our heart condemns us, listen, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. My friends, this should ring in your ears as good news, God is greater than your heart, and he knows everything. Now what does John mean? John is teaching us a couple of things. First, the human heart is not the final standard of of judgment or mercy. Rather, God is. It is God who gives us assurance before him. And in God's presence, we are to be at ease when our hearts condemn us, because God's mercy and his grace and his love are greater than our hearts. His all-surpassing mercy, that's what cleanses our consciences. Christian, your confidence before God is not based upon you downplaying your sin, nor is it based upon how well you perform your Christian duties. I'm not saying don't do them. But your confidence before God comes from knowing that God has been and always will be merciful and loving and forgiving towards you through his son, Jesus Christ. Second John says God knows all things. (laughs) This should should both humble us as well as reassure us and maybe scare us a little bit. I don't know. Only God is omniscient. That means he knows all things. Our little pea-sized brains, as powerful as they can be, I mean, we can balance checkbooks, you know, three out of four times. Our little pea brains, though, aren't sufficient to the task of putting our own hearts at ease. But thankfully, God knows our frailty. God knows our weakness. How does he know this? Because Christ, the Son of God, became a a man. And in his humanity, Christ experienced the sorrow and shame and weakness and frailty and hunger and abandonment that we experience on earth too. And through it all, unlike you and I, and on our behalf, Jesus trusted the Father who knows all. So our hearts can be reassured before God because his mercy is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. So Christian, what is John calling us to do here? He is calling us to be reminded of what God has done for us. In his perfect love, he has given us a perfect redemption through his Son. Our confidence isn't to come from how well we perform our daily duties, but rather our confidence is to be in Christ, who has performed all of our duties on our behalf. And so we may come before God and confess our sins, because we still sin, and experience God's greatness over our own hearts as we bask and soak in his mercy and love towards us. That's the source Now for the effect, the effect of confidence. What effect does confidence in Christ have have upon us? Well, the effect is freedom. And we see three ways in which freedom impact us in verses 21 through 22. We see that we are free to come into God's presence. We are free to ask and receive from him, and we are free to please him. First, we're free to come into his presence. You know, there are very, very few people who can barge into the king's bedroom late at night while he is sleeping without ticking him off. There are, at times, top aides and advisors who need to awaken him due to some crisis, but they do so with great trepidation, do they not? But not so the king's children They can enter into the king's bedroom at all hours because the king is, well, their daddy. So too the Christian has confidence to come before God because God is our father. Our hearts no longer condemn us. We have free access to our heavenly father. We come to him and listen, God delights for us to be in his presence. So the Christian has been freed to come before God. The second thing that John shows us is that because of our family relationship, we are able to ask God for, for things, prayer requests, and receive from him. This is what John tells us in verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, once again, we have to be careful how we read John. You could be left thinking, you could be left thinking that God answers our prayers because we have done all the right things and he owes us a favor but that's not the case what what John has been showing us in this letter right is that a christian is someone who has been born anew that there's this new life that has come upon the christian that that god's spirit dwells in us and and really we now do long to keep his commandments right this is this is now the new reality of our hearts. Not that we do it perfectly well, but that is our heart's desire. We now long to please our Heavenly Father and obey his commands. And because we are now these new creatures, his children, um, he is our father, guess what? And he loves to respond favorably to our requests. But of course, we need to pray according to his will. Just as parents don't give us all we ask for, sorry about that, kids, Uh, but they don't give us all we ask for because often it's for our own good. And so too God answers our prayers, but he answers our prayers according to his will. Now all this being said, there is this condition of obedience with regards to answered prayer. I like what John Stott says concerning this. Here's what he says, listen closely. He says, Obedience is the indispensable condition, not the meritorious cause of answered prayer. The indispensable condition, not the meritorious cause. What does he mean? What Stott is saying is is your obedience doesn't earn or merit God's favorable reply to your prayers, but rather that, that obedience is the fertile ground into which prayers, answered prayers, may be sown. Picture it this way, say you're a farmer and you desire to have a bumper crop, but the ground that you have is full of weeds. In order to have a good yield, you need to root up all the weeds. Now, clearing the field of weeds does not earn you a bumper crop, but it is the necessary condition for a bumper crop to exist. So to the children of God, when we walk in and in delight in God's commands, when we desire to obey God because we love him, and when our hearts have come alive to living out for God in ways that please him, this becomes fertile ground for answered prayer. I think this is what Paul had in mind when he wrote to his protege, Timothy. Here's what he wrote. He said, Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So, obedience to God does not twist his arm. Your heavenly father stands, listen, your heavenly father stands at the ready to bless you with answered prayer. I'm not making this up. It's right here in the passage. Oh, that we would believe this, right? That we would really believe our father in heaven is a loving, kind, gracious, merciful come to me with whatever you have, kind of heavenly father. And when we desire to walk in ways that honor him simply because we love him, we come to him with prayer requests, and guess what? He he desires to answer them with yes, yes, yes. Consider all the unanswered prayers you have because you're not even asking your father. Consider perhaps how you're afraid to come before him because of some sin you've done this past week. He's ready to hear from you. He's ready for you to confess. He's ready for you to receive his mercy and grace. And he's ready for you to ask him kingdom requests. And he's ready to answer those. Your father stands ready to bless you with answered prayer. But obedience is indispensable and necessary. Lastly, our confidence before God frees us to please him. Remember the point I made at the beginning of the passage of this message, rather, that having confidence changes how we live in the moment? Isn't it true that when we lack confidence, we doubt? And when we doubt, we hunker down? But the gospel, listen, the gospel gives you freedom to risk. When your heart has been reassured before God, when you've been reminded that he knows everything and then he holds everything in his hands, does that not free you to step out boldly and live for Christ in his kingdom? Throughout this letter, John has been reminding us as Christians that we're to love one another with this radical Christ-like dying unto self kind of love, this sacrificial love of Christ. But it's true, right? Love is really risky. <laughs> I was taking a risk when I invited Leslie out to that dinner. I probably could have used a few shots of whiskey too. Um, it was I was afraid. I was scared. I was nervous. Love is risky. Why is love risky? Because people can ignore you. People can take advantage of your generosity, right? You've experienced that. People might not even notice when you're being loving and generous to them. Or or people may just flat out refuse to change. But even more than how others respond to you, listen, love is risky because we risk seeing how truly insincere our love really is we risk seeing that we really don't have patience for others. We risk seeing that we really don't want to die under self so that we can love someone else for Christ's sake. We risk becoming irritable. Do you see that in your own life? Love is risky. See, we're called to love one another, but it's risky because we're all sinners, and therefore we will always be stepping on each other's toes. So the safe thing to do is to hunker down, to doubt. Love is risky, but because God has graciously given us confidence before him, we are free to love others. And listen, see, God's grace, it absorbs our risk. See, he will comfort us when we are hurt by others, will he not? And he will forgive us and encourage us if we have hurt other people. That is how our Heavenly Father works. So Christian, may you ponder and rejoice in the truth that the effect of our confidence before God is freedom, freedom to come into his presence, freedom to ask and receive from him, and also freedom to please him in our daily living. All right, so we've seen the source and the effect now for the abiding in confidence. Isn't it true that many people in our society put their greatest hope in wealth? And not just the one percenters, we like to point at them. But you can be on welfare and put your hope in wealth. You can be one who has just like an average paying job and you can put your hope in wealth. When our hope is in wealth and material, material gains or possessions, we tend to look at our bank accounts as our source of confidence, do we not? We've all experienced the futility in that, right? Set aside a little bit of money in a retirement account and you start to watch it grow. But we need to be careful not to abide in our bank balances, right? One month, your confidence goes through the roof as the market just soars to new highs. But then you find the following month, our confidence is shattered with another market downturn. Listen, our confidence is not to ebb and flow with ever-changing markets, nor is it to ebb and flow with ever-changing emotions. But rather, it's to be steady upon the finished work of Christ. In our passage, John is reminding us that, that the Christian doesn't point to a bank account or any such thing for confidence. The Christian points to Christ and his limitless store of mercy and grace towards us. Jesus Christ is to be our abiding confidence. That is what John is getting at in verses 23 and 24. In verse 24, we read, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him once again, we kind of got to be careful how we read John. We can get the sense that John is saying, if you do these things, keeping God's commands, well, then you're forcing God to take up residence in you, abide in you, and bring about all these good things. But that's not the way we're supposed to take this passage. Verse 23 shows us that's the case. What is the commandment that God has commanded us? You see what verse 23 says? The command is that we believe. (laughs) That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And then out of that belief, out of that newness of life and love, love one another as he, Jesus, commanded us. What God is calling us to do, and therefore what we can experience so that we know that we may abide in confidence, is to believe in his son, Jesus Christ and to allow that forgiveness and that love that we've experienced from Christ to manifest itself in our very lives. And so the work that the gospel calls us to is belief. You remember when Jesus was asked by some men, remember what what they said to him? They said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? It's a great question. And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. My friends, the gospel calls us to believe in God's son, Jesus Christ. In fact, try to, try to wrap your head around this. It's more than just a, a call. It is actually a command. <laughs> Unfortunately, many people look at the message of Christ, this gospel, which is to turn from living a life of rebellion to God and and come to the cross and find forgiveness and new life, they look at this message of the gospel and they tend to view it kind of as a suggestion, right? Like God is up there in heaven saying, hey, um, if you want, you know, maybe if you're having a bad day, you can come and believe if you want it. Now, you need to understand this. The gospel is a command to be obeyed. That's why often in scriptures, you, you hear people like Peter and, and Paul saying, obey the gospel. Remember the first sermon that Jesus preached in Mark's gospel in the very opening chapter? We read that Jesus went around to all these different villages and towns. And what did he say? He preached the gospel. He, he said, repent and believe the gospel. The verbs there are what we call imperatives. You've been in grammar. You know what imperative is? Imperatives are commands. Repent and believe. You know, it's hard to believe that Hurricane Sandy was eight years ago, right? Do you remember that during Hurricane Sandy, there was times, there was places that had to be evacuated? And remember the images, the videos we saw of police officers and National Guardsmen standing up on trucks with water up to their... Axles and they were shouting through bullhorns, turn, get out of your homes, go to a safe place, pack your bags, leave now. Those were imperatives. The problem was many people treated the imperative simply as advice. The gospel is very much like that. It's a command. Turn and believe in the name of God's Son, and then you will find safety. Sadly, many treat it as optional advice. But listen, if you're in Christ, you are a Christian, and the Christian has obeyed the command from heaven to turn and believe in Christ. And the result is God has given you this new life, and now there's this love of Christ that is in you and flows out of you as a Christian. And not perfectly, right? But the Holy Spirit has genuinely made us new. This, this work in us is the reason why we can know we are God's children. That's, why, that's what John says in verse 24. He says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know he abides in us. By what? The spirit whom he has given us. The Christian has obeyed God's command, which is to believe, <laughs> and out of that belief to love, And God has graciously taken up residence in the believer. As John says, we abide in God and God abides in us and all by the Holy Spirit's presence in us. It's as if John is saying to us who are like struggling maybe with doubts, like, uh, you know, like these people on the outside, these Gnostics were saying, no, no, don't, you know, Jesus is nice and all, but really all you need is just to follow our teachings And John John is saying to them, he's saying, no, we know that we are of the truth. And how do we know this? It's as if John is saying, you experience it every day of your life. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And if you're a Christian here today, you know exactly what John is talking about. The Holy Spirit has worked in you and continues to work in your life. The Holy Spirit in you is the reason why you now look with Christ, to Christ with joy and delight. The Holy Spirit in you is the reason why your view of God has changed. He has become majestic and holy and righteous and good. The Holy Spirit in you is the reason why your view of yourself has changed. You now see yourself who's a person in need of holiness and goodness, and you see yourself as one who is now in need of God's mercy and grace and the Holy Spirit is the reason why you trust in Christ and not in your own righteousness and the Holy Spirit is why you've experienced transformation in your life I think sometimes as Christians we're so hard on ourselves we see the sin that's still in us and we see the daily shortcomings do you not also see the daily great blessings of, of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you The reason why you get upset at your lingering sin in your life is because of the presence of God in your life. People who do not have the Holy Spirit could care less about the sin in their life. So, Christian, you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. This is your confidence. The Holy Spirit is at work in you. Yeah, I know, we'd all like to have him do more. (laughs) but he's at work. You are becoming more loving and patient and kind and gentle. And you know that this work is from above. And even when your heart fails you, the Holy Spirit reminds you that you are a child of God. And so God, who is greater than your heart, has taken up residence in you so that you will experience this abiding work of God in your life. This is a gift of God to you. Do you see it as that? Oh, how good God is. Christian, your confidence abides because in love, God abides in you. Amazing thought. My friends, let's close with this thought. All of the world needs this confidence before God. This is why the church is on mission. This is why we exist on the east end to spread Christ's kingdom to more and more people. All of the world is in need of this confidence before God. As much as we might like to pardon ourselves or make God in our own image, God is holy and mighty and just. And so obviously to have confidence before him is not something we can muster up, but thanks be to God, who is greater than our hearts. God is merciful and forgiving. He knows everything. He knows the longings that we have. He knows our needs. He knows our failings. And he has given us all that we need through his son, Jesus Christ. And because it is in Christ, it can never be taken away. And so we have been free to abide in the only confidence that matters, confidence before God. And it frees us, frees us to come before him, frees us to, to ask whatever we long for so long as it's according to his will, and we will receive it. And he frees us to risk. And so in light of this, may we come to the Lord's Supper with confidence this morning. May we come bearing our burdens and our anxieties, and may we lay them at the cross of Christ. May our hearts be reassured this morning. May we abide in Christ as he abides in us. Let's pray. Father, it seems too good to be true. Um, We need to wipe the disbelief um, from our eyes. We need to clear our minds for this truth. May it settle in deep into our souls. May it become a firm foundation for how we daily live our lives. That you are our heavenly father, And we have confidence before you. And this confidence changes everything in our lives. Help us to be confident. Help us to risk well for your glory. We thank you for this meal and what it signifies to us that Christ has done it all. And we are the benefits of all of his blessings for us. Um, We thank you and delight in you through Christ. Amen.